from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. John chapter 15, verse 18, and down to the fourth verse of chapter 16. And as you turn there, the only word that I can think of that describes the transition between verse 17 and verse 18 is the word whiplash. Now, I, I've, I've never had it. I don't know if anyone has or not. I, I hope that you haven't. Uh, but we all know what it is. Especially, I think we know it mostly through car accidents or something like that, where you are going along and going forward, and then something happens that sends your that stops your forward progress. But you know as well as I do that if you're in a car, the car may stop, but your body continues to go forward, and 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 your head kind of goes forward, and then that whiplash where it jerks it back with the equal force, right? That's a scientific principle. Every force has an equal and opposite reaction. So if it goes forward at a, you know, really hard, it's going to go backwards at really hard. And it's called whiplash and it, it causes you a great deal of pain. Now, we also use whiplash metaphorically, right? Talking about when something changes so quickly, you're like, oh, it feels like whiplash. You're, you're not hurt or anything, but the topic or what, is, what you're doing changes so quickly. That's how we relate it to. When we come to John chapter 18, from verse 17 to verse 18, excuse me, it is whiplash. Because we have been spending time where Jesus has been talking about love and that we are to love one another. And as the Father loves me and I love the Father, and as we are one in love, and as love becomes our characteristic to display to the world that we are in Christ, it's all about love. It's all about what we are supposed to do as believers and being recipients of love and givers of love. And then all of a sudden, verse 18, he starts off when the world hates you and you're like, what, huh? We were at love, and now all of a sudden, we are at hate. And that transition from love to hate is a very abrupt change as Jesus is giving instructions to His disciples. So let's read what Jesus says this morning, not only to His disciples, but to us this morning through God's Word. Verse 18 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be filled. They hated me without a cause." But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And as I was reading that, that passage, really just two questions is, is, is what jumped out of my mind about that passage. Passage number one, or question number one is, why does the world hate believers? Why does the world hate us? And the second question then that, that comes from that is, okay, how are believers supposed to respond? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and I will tell you, it's those two questions. And I know, I know what you're going to do. I know the look on everybody's face when I say this. And seven points. I will do my best. Okay? So question number one. Why does the world hate believers? If you want to make it personal as a believer, why does the world hate us? And in that question, we have to define the two words. We've got to define the word hate and the word world. Because we just we just we went from love to hate. And the difference between love from hate is the same distance as east is from the west. They are, they are polar opposites. And in this context, hate means exactly what you think it means. Right? I don't really need to define that for you. It is what you think it is. When he talks about the world hating you, we need to remember that the world is what John uses to discuss people who are in open rebellion. Uh, and to God and opposed to God. In the Gospel of John, and really in life, there, there are two views of God. You are either a believer saved by faith in Jesus Christ, or you are in rebellion to Him. There is no other way. There is no third option. There is no way to nuance it. It is one or the other. And Jesus says, if you are a believer in Me, therefore you're not of the world, the world will hate you. And he puts it in that language that we sometimes do, right? Well, if, if the world hates you, and we've used that in parenting or, or some other way, it's like, well, it, if it rains today, it's going to. It will happen. And Jesus uses it the same way. It's not a question of if. It is, Jesus is saying it is going to happen. I'm telling you right now, the world will hate you. And you go, why? Well, as we go through this, we can see some reasons. And Jesus says, first of all, I want you to know that the world hates you, but it hated me first. That's the foundational issue, right? Because that's what he says. If the world hates you, verse 18, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And one truth to hold on to, and it's a hard truth to hold on to. And the truth is this, that if the world hates you, it hates Jesus. Now, the reason that it's, that it's hard to, to hold on to that truth is because it's personal. They hate Jesus, but they hate us personally. Right? You, you, you stand for Christ, they're going to rail at you because Jesus isn't there. They see Jesus in you, and because Jesus isn't physically standing in front of them for them to direct their hate towards Him, they're going to direct their hate towards you. And Jesus says, hey, look, it's because of me. You go to read the Gospel of John, you get 10 verses into the Gospel of John before John says the world hates Jesus. Right? I mean, you know the prologue, and it's that beautiful poetry at the beginning. Jesus hasn't done anything, and God says through, through the Gospel of John, hey, Jesus, you're going to be hated. The people reject you. 
Call him names. We haven't got to his trial and crucifixion yet where they will beat him and they will hang him on the cross as a sinner. That's the ultimate display of hatred. And Jesus says, look, I know it's going to be directed towards you. Right? It, it, y'all, y'all heard people say, well, don't take this personal. And you're like, you know, there ain't no other way to take it. <laughs> it is personal. It is. But it's personally directed to Jesus. And we have to understand that. doesn't mean that the pain's going to be less. It doesn't mean that it, we won't suffer, we won't be persecuted. It means that we have to, at least in this aspect, say, all right, they hate me because I belong to Christ and they hate Him more. So when the world hates you, remember that it hated Jesus first. But then he goes on in verse 19, he says, the world hates you because you're not of the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world... I chose you out. Therefore, the world hates you. As a believer, we are no longer part of the world, which may come as a shock to you this morning as you are here this morning and part of the world. Right? We, we are here. We, we understand that. And in fact, we engage in, in many of the same things that the world engages in, right? And so much of what we engage in is it, it really kind of neutral, right? It, you go to the store. You go to the store just like the world goes to the store. Okay? We're participating in the marketplace. That's, that's part of the world. We go to school. We go uh, participate in space. It's part of the world. It, there's, there's not a moral judgment on that part of that, right? There's many things in the world that we do just like the world does that, that is not a moral judgment on them. What happens is when we become like the world, when our pursuits become the same pursuits of the world. And if we look just like them, then they're going to love us. right? If you echo the same things that the world says, why would they not like you? But Jesus says, look, hey, you're not of the world. We've been called out of it. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9, He has called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. While Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.7, You are a new creation. God the Creator who created us physically now creates in us spiritually, this time giving us a new heart. And so what we do is we find joy in Him and not in the world. Look around. At the billboards. Look around at the apps on your phone or the advertisements on your phone. Right? You know, because your phone doesn't listen to land. I was in Lowe's the other day. We were looking at some like vanities and stuff. And all of a sudden, we get back. She, we didn't take out our phone, right? We get back into the car a couple hours later. She's getting ad, ads, you know, like, yeah, keep telling me my phone doesn't listen to me. But, you know, right? Look at the billboards. Look at the ads. Listen to the radio. You want to know what the world is pursuing and what the world wants? Listen to that. And if you pursue it, the world's going to say, all right, you're one of us. But we're not. We're not one of them. 
That verse, uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, in, in the King James, it says, you are a peculiar people. Right? We all know a peculiar person, don't we? We know what that means. Well, he's, he's kind of peculiar. It means they're different. We're supposed to be a peculiar people in the world because we are to produce fruit. Right? Jesus just said, produce fruit that abides. Fruit that abides in Jesus. And if the fruit abides in Jesus, the fruit will not look like the world. So if we're producing more fruit that doesn't look like the world, the world is more antagonized by the fruit that is being produced. The world hates us because we're not of the world. And thirdly, the world hates believers because we don't serve the world. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute you, they will persecute. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You know, can we, I mean, we know this, that if you are to serve, serve involves having a master, right? I mean, you're not a servant if you don't have a master. It, it, it just goes, it's, it's definitional. We are servants of Jesus. We obey His teachings. But we will not serve the gods of the world. And, and you know, this, this, is, this is one thing that we need to recognize. And I, and I think the, the church and, and believers have been slow to recognize this. It is idolatry. It, it, it is a false religion. All right, you hear people talk about uh, postmodernism. You hear people talking about humanism. You hear, you hear all these philosophies thrown out. And what we need to understand is it's not just the intellectual philosophy. It is a religion where they worship the gods of that. Right? You, you worship the god of self. You worship the god of, of, of money. You worship the god of power. I mean, all, all of these things are out there. And we're, when we get the, the fifth point, we'll spend some more time on this. But we need to stop thinking of it as, well, they just don't understand. No, no they're, they're worshiping that. It is a religion to them. Right? Think about it this way. Is, is it, does, does anybody ever stop and think on the Oscars? Did they get the idea for the image for the Oscar from Daniel? Where Nebuchadnezzar raises a golden image to be bowed down to? And then you have the Oscars and they hold it up and go, here, you're the best. Here, here is a golden image for you to bow down to because it recognizes that you are the best. The world is not morally neutral. Neither is the world religiously neutral. They do worship and serve other gods. And we need to recognize that. And we don't serve their gods. And if you don't serve their gods, they don't like you because you're not like them. But then Jesus goes on and says, The world hates the Father who sent me. You look down in verse 21 and verse 22. But all these they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now we know who sent him. They hate the Father. Right? I mean, let's just say it. They, they hate the Godhead. They hate the Father. They hate the Son. They hate the Holy Spirit. They're in absolute rebellion to God. Even though we know 
why God sent Jesus. And Jesus has made it clear why He was sent, right? John 5, 24 through 29. Let me read those to you again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those will hear me. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There it is. Why did did God send Jesus? To call the people out of darkness, to call them out of death into life. And they look at this and, and they look at the fact that the Father sent Jesus and they go, I don't like that. I hate the Father. How dare He send somebody to save me? You know what this is tantamount to? This is like if your house is on fire and you're trapped inside the house. And your neighbor goes and calls the fire department. And the fire department shows up. Your house is on fire. You can't get out. And the fire department pulls up, grabs the hoses, hook the hoses up to the hydrant. It's, it's, it's right there. They're, they're getting ready to open up the nozzle to put your house out so that they can save you. And all of a sudden, from inside the house, they hear a voice that says, I hate you. Leave me alone. Well, that seems kind of odd. The fire, you know, the fire person there is like, well, surely I didn't hear that. Hey, we're here to save you. We're here to say you are in certain death. We are going to save you and move you from certain death to life. I don't care. I hate you. Leave me alone. That that's the, the situation of the world. The father who we are told God is love, who wants all to come to redemption has sent His Son because of His love and because He wants all to come to redemption to save the world and move them from death to from death and to life and from darkness into light. And they don't want to have anything to do with Him. And while in that analogy, physical death would be a horrible thing, the spiritual death that the world faces is infinitely worse. Because it's an eternal death that is separ- that will separate them from God for all eternity. That says, if you do not believe in me, there is a very real and a very hot hell that awaits those who do not believe. And it's not for a little while. It is for all eternity. And here Jesus has been sent to save them from that. But they hate the Father so much, they hate Jesus so much, they will not let go of their hatred and run to the one who has come to save them. They will not acknowledge that the Father sent Jesus for them. But then lastly, the world hates us because their sin is exposed. Jesus comes and it says, if you look down in verse 22 through 25, He says, I've come and they hate me because they they see the sin. They would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for sin. Now you read that verse and you think, well, that means that Jesus came and, and 
because of that, they're sinners now if Jesus had just stayed in heaven. That's, that's, that's really not what that, that means. Right? It means that when He comes, their, their sin is glaringly revealed. They already know that they're sinners. Right? Here, here's my, my very silly analogy because I thought it was silly. You all know what it's like to have a bad hair day. Right? I, I hate those. I mean, with, with a passion. I, I really didn't realize I could have a bad hair day until I went to New until I went to New Orleans, and I was like, I didn't know humidity could do so much with so little. Um, um, it really can. But you know it. You wake up. You wake up in the morning. You know your hair doesn't look good, right? So when you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror, the mirror reveals what you already know. Now the stupid thing is break the mirror. Right? You don't like the truth that the mirror is revealing to you, so you break the mirror. That doesn't change the truth. Your hair still looks bad. You still need to fix it. So it's not that Jesus came and they were in the sinless perfection or we would be in the sinless perfection until He came. No, He came and He just holds the mirror up to us and we look at ourselves in that mirror and we go, wow, we really are the sinner Scripture tells us that we are. So you have a choice. Do you break the mirror or do you flee to the one who will save you? Well, the world breaks the mirror. They, they, they don't want to, to see the sin that they are engaged in. And earlier when I said that we need to recognize that the world serves other gods, this, this is part of it. Right? And, and this morning we, we just we have to touch on the topics of where we are culturally and where we are today in our society. We, we just came off a month that was labeled Pride Month. And not just that, the Assistant Secretary of, of Health and Human Services has said, don't make it just a month, make it the whole summer. And the whole point of, of Pride Month is to celebrate all things LB... I, I, I don't know all the, the letters. But I do know this, at the end they put the plus. And the plus is deliberate. Because who knows what else there may be. It used to only be four letters. Right? And this is where we are. As a nation, this is, this is being celebrated. It's being promoted by the White House and by Congress. We've been told that the people in this group are the bravest and the best. And if we look up and we say from a biblical standpoint, no, this is not good. This is not right. This is contrary to Scripture. This is sin. We're told that, that, that we want to kill people or we want to drag our nation backwards. We see it on display. We saw it in some of the parades that they have. And there was one parade where I can't repeat the banner. I can repeat the first two words, but I can't repeat the third one in church. That said, literally, Satan loves, and I'll let you fill in the slur that followed that. They chant, we're coming for your kids. And then they say, it's not real. Well, there's books that say that you are. And this, this is being celebrated and promoted at all levels. The American Medical Association, doctors, who I hope took Biology 101, supports, quote, everyone's access to quality, evidence-based health care regardless of gender or sexual orientation. There is no evidence-based health care that shows a man can become a woman or a woman can become a man. But when you put a man who says he's a woman in charge of health and human services, 
that's what you get. Now, again, what does the world serve now? That's not an ideology, that's a God. You think about abortion. We praise God that Roe has been overturned. But in the time that Roe has been overturned, in the years leading up to that, it went from safe, legal, and rare to shout your abortion. To California, putting up billboards and other states saying that California is ready to assist in billboards. And if that's not bad enough, if anybody, some people go, well, Gary, I don't really understand blasphemy. You want to know what blasphemy is? You put up that billboard, and then at the bottom you put up Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. I love my neighbor by saying you can come here to have an abortion. And quote scripture. That, that, that's blasphemy. Euthanasia. Do you realize that 7% of all deaths, and it's not in America, but in Quebec, is by assisted, assisted, physician-assisted suicide? Do you realize that somebody designed a physician-assisted side, assisted suicide pod so you could get in it and push the buttons yourself? That, that, that's, is, is that a philosophy or is that a God? Marriage. Advocates the world advocates for same-sex marriage, and, and can I just say this? As believers, we need to not give in to that language. There is no such thing as a same-sex marriage. Marriage is defined as one man and one woman. That is it. And I want to I want to read for you. I don't usually read Supreme Court decisions, but I want to read a portion of this in the Obergefell decision when this was legalized. Justice Kennedy wrote, "Quote." The generations that wrote and ratified the Bill of Rights in the 14th Amendment did not presume to know the extent of freedom in all dimensions. The right to marry is fundamental because it supports a two-person union unlike any other in its importance to the committed individuals. The generations did not know all the extent of freedom. No, maybe not, but they knew a man couldn't become a man, a woman couldn't, or a woman couldn't become a man, and two men and two women couldn't get married. But you had the Supreme Court going, we just didn't know that. You want to hear something really interesting? Because, you know, you go, well, Gary, surely you're not going to argue for polygamy or something worse from that. The American Bar Association, listen to this, says you can't have polygamy because it would violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Never mind, Justice Kennedy just quoted the 14th Amendment to overturn what we thought marriage was or what marriage is. So surely they wouldn't use the, you can't. The 14th Amendment protect, no, it doesn't. The Supreme Court just said the 14th Amendment doesn't matter. And you hear things like this, and, 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 and you, you keep on and, and go, all right, again, is, is that a philosophy or is it a God? It's a God. And it's in the churches too. I mean, you see blasphemy in the churches today. I can't believe I'm getting ready to quote what I'm getting ready to quote to you. And if I hadn't saw it from my own eyes and seen it on the, the church's website, you, you would think that I had absolutely lost my ever-loving mind. Last week or a couple weeks ago, in an evangelical, which they just need to drop that, that name, Lutheran Church, this was the prayer. And again, I cannot believe I'm... I am, quote, I invite you to rise in body or spirit 
And let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the altar, gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling of each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love, I believe, glorious God. Help my unbelief. Amen. That's the best response. Huh? But that's what's going on in churches. And can I just, on on another soapbox, excuse me for this one, I I just got to say it. Love is love. It's about as emotional, is about as deep intelligently as looking at that door and going, door is door. People are you know, saying, you know, it's the height of, of wisdom and intelligence. Love is love. No, it's a tautology. It means nothing. <laughs> it's like blue is blue. So you tell me. Jesus reveals their sin. And as believers, when we stand opposed to that, and we go, what you're doing is worshiping pagan gods. And false gods, and, and there is nothing. I don't know. They're worshiping somebody or someone or something, but I know who they're not worshiping. And Jesus reveals the sins, and they don't like that. The world doesn't like that. Now, here's the question for us How do we respond? How do we respond? Two ways that we respond. Number one, we see it in verse 26 through 28. We stay on mission. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. We don't stop spreading the gospel. We don't stop fulfilling the Great Commission. There is no end point to the Great Commission. We continue to go forward. We don't retreat from God's Word. We don't stop pointing people to Jesus. Jesus did not stop. He kept going. We must keep going as well. And as we keep going as believers, there are two things that we cannot do. Number one, we cannot affirm people in their sins. And you hear this going, we just have to affirm them where they are. No, no, no. That's not the Gospel. We cannot affirm you in your open rebellion to Christ. You know what else we can't do? We can't hate. We, we can't hate. We, we, can we be angry? Absolutely. Can we be mad at the blatant blasphemy and sinfulness of the world? Absolutely. Can we be mad that, that, that the billboards for abortion are plastered with Bible verses? Absolutely. Can we be angry with that? Yes, we can. Can we hate? No. As believers, we are not given that authority. We absolutely can not. Jude puts it this way in Jude 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. What did we do? We have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. We can't hate. We can't hate. And part of that means that when we're confronting people, you can confront truthfully, you can confront powerfully, and you can confront without being a jerk. All right? The world is full of jerks. You don't need a, you don't, we don't need believers who are jerks. But we stay on mission. We stay on mission. But then secondly, we stay in Jesus. Verse 1 through 4, 16, he says, I told you all of this so that you're not unaware. And he says, in our unawareness, we do not fall away. You listen to what the world is, is, is saying about us and doing to us. And here Jesus says they'll, they'll kick you out of the synagogue. Now, for the Jews at the time, that just meant they were completely and totally cut out of life. They couldn't marry. They couldn't trade. They couldn't live. They're completely cut out of society. He says, you know, they, there's even going to come a day when they will kill you. And they think that they were offering a service to God. And you can go through history and see that. He says, when their hour comes, right? When their hour comes. When does their hour come? Their hour comes. They think that they are the most powerful and their hour comes when they see Jesus die on the cross. But what they don't know is that's not their hour. It's Jesus' hour. And while they think they win, actually it is Jesus on the cross who gets the victory. He says, but their hour is coming and their delusion, they're going to think this and they're going to come after you because they think that they have all the, the, the rights to engage you and to, to say all these things about you and to persecute you and, and to kill you. He, Jesus says, look, when that happens, don't fall away. That's amazing to read. Because you know what Jesus is saying right there? He's telling us what the great, greatest danger of living for Christ is. And the greatest danger of living for Christ is not dying for Christ. The greatest danger of living for Christ is not sickness. The greatest danger of living for Christ is not poverty. It is not being kicked out of the community. The greatest danger that we face living for Christ is falling away. is to allow the persecution and, and the pressure that the world puts on us to make us stand up and go, okay, you know what? You're right. I reject Christ. I reject those teachings. I'm not one of them. I'm one of you. You want to hear something really fascinating in the, from the original language? It says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Do you know what the word falling away is in Greek? Scandalizo. The greatest scandal that there is is falling away. But we don't. When the world comes after us, 
we stay in Christ. When the world calls us names, we, we stay in Christ. When the world says you can't have your job, we stay in Christ. When the world says you're not one of us and we're not going to let you do anything that we do in the world, you stay in Christ. Because we do not consider the sufferings of this present time worthy compared to the glory that awaits us. We don't consider them. There's glory waiting for us. And until that day, we remain steadfast in the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, the world is going to hate us if we live like Christ. They're not going to like who we stand for. They're not going to like our values. They're not going to like our morals. They're not going to like us saying that is sinful. They're not going to like us. And we need to say, that's okay. That's okay. Because my calling as a believer is one that has been called out of the world and been given a new mission to not be like the world, but to tell the world about the one who can snatch us out of darkness. And so when the world hates us, we keep going forward and we keep on with the mission. And we don't turn our backs on the one who died for us on the cross. Jesus walking up to Golgotha carrying the cross did not look at what laid before him and look at you and think you're not worth it and turn around and walk the other way. As believers, we can't do that either. It is absolutely worth it because we know the glory that awaits us. Until then, brothers and sisters, remain steadfast and the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.